Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today on The Detail, the thousands of tonnes of toxic waste causing anger and anxiety in a tiny Southland town and the secret deal that put it there. By mid-morning, police were ordering everyone out of Matoda. Nah, that road's shut, mate, and we're now moving everyone out of town. We're moving, we're just packing up now. The mandatory evacuation not just about flooded houses, it's also a serious health threat. 10,000 tonnes of an aluminium by-product called Ovia Premix has been stored for years at the town's old paper mill, right beside the riverbank. The problem is, when the hazardous substance gets wet, it can produce toxic ammonia gas. That's just ended up as a very hot potato for the smelter, the council, the community and government. And a big mess to clean up. A mess that involves an old warehouse, a Bahrain businessman and a corporate giant. Ian Telfer covered all the twists and turns of the saga for RNZ. It starts with a company that was contracted to get rid of the waste, Taha. The material got put there by Taha without telling anybody. So they did a deal with the landowner of the, it's right, the old paper mill. So Matora is a paper mill town, really. And the paper mill was a very dominant white building right in the middle of the town. And the river goes through and it, it passes directly behind the paper mill buildings. And they're just huge warehouse area, really, now that's not been used for very much. Was it secretly dumped so they, there? They secretly put it in there in 2014 without telling anyone. And they certainly didn't go and get a resource consent as they needed to for a hazardous substance. Wow. And it was only then the council found out, the community found out and the council found out and the council had to scramble and found that it had 10,000 tonnes of the material in one-tonne bags. So 10,000 one-tonne bags of the stuff. Did you see it, Ian? I mean, what does I've it look like? I've never seen it. I've never seen it. I've never seen photos of it, and I've seen photos of the bags, but I couldn't ever get into the paper mill, so I haven't been able to get, see it myself. You know those wool scourer kind of bags that yeah. you get? That, it looks a bit like that. But did you at some point try and get inside that warehouse to see what was there? Yep. Yeah, I tried several times to visit the warehouse. I asked to visit, um, but I was but I was turned down. I went and knocked on the doors. There was no one ever around. Uh, we looked around the building a couple of times and took photographs, but there was no way in. Did you speak to the owner? The owner's pretty shy. The owner is a businessman, uh, Mr Patterson. He's never really spoken about it directly. He subletted it on to, to another group who, who seemed to put it in there. So he, he said at the time that he had no knowledge that it went in. He has been part of the bailout solution and end up, he's ended up paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to try and get the stuff out. So that shows you, I guess, the kind of risk that he thinks he's under too. So basically no one knew it was there until when? Late in 2014, I think the public maybe got a word of it, a wind of it, and the council did too. And then the council went through a process. They tried to work out what to do. I think they tried to get it shifted out but couldn't, decided they have to do a retrospective resource consent process. So they went out to the community and said... Taha has applied retrospectively. Basically, they went and told them that they had to get a resource consent if they were going to store hazardous material against the river. So they went through a whole process with the community of saying, well, we've got this stuff in here, what do you think? And I guess there were some in the community who at the time didn't really mind or didn't really know what it was. And then there was quite a few people who were very concerned. And uh, they kicked up a fuss at the time of the resource consent. But the resource consent ended up going through and being given to to Taha to store it there. But what happened at that time was that the deal for the resource consent was that they had to pay a bond, and Taha was charged $2.3 million uh, as a bond in case of failure, in case they went bust, so that 
the council would have the money to shift the stuff out in the worst case scenario. <laughs> but mm. ironically or not, the company appealed that to the um, environment court and it was never paid. And so one of the things that happened when they went bust was <laughs> there'd been a bill for $2.3 million, but the council didn't have a cent. Taha was going to turn it into fertiliser. Yeah, they built a new factory. They had a five-year contract with TY to take all the dross. The first step of that process was to take any aluminium, extra aluminium they could out of it and give it back to the smelter. Then they were going to turn the rest into a fertiliser. Now, when they say fertiliser, it's not really an agricultural fertiliser, but more um, an additive to concrete or um, an industrial process. The idea was that they would process it and sell it on for productive uses. They built a big factory, a million-dollar factory in Invercargill, the south of, of, of the city, and they were sort of gung-ho about trying to sell this. But things started to go wrong, Sharon, in about 2014. Piles started turning up all over Southland. So there were some agricultural workers who went down to a place in Edendale and they were shoveling the stuff. It got wet and the ammonium was released and they ended up being treated in hospital for that. And that was the first red flag, really. They got got um, reported to Environment Southland, the, the regulator, um, the regional council, and they investigated and that started a whole prosecution process because they weren't handling the stuff safely, they weren't being upfront about where it was and people weren't taking the necessary precautions for dealing with something which is by its nature pretty toxic to humans. And then that led to it going broke? Yeah, there's different stories about what happened. The owner, Frank Polman, who was this Bahraini businessman, he was the, the one who founded Taha, and he maintains that, that, that their prosecution had nothing to do with losing their contract. He says that TY tried to screw down the price, and so they didn't renew the contract, and that he didn't know that until just the week before the contract was due to be renewed. There'd never really been a clear answer on that, but I guess the prosecution must have had an impact because it, it did sort of dent the reputation of the company, and they had more trouble selling uh, you know, their processed materials, and mm-hmm. so they just couldn't get a market for it. And so it all came to a head in, in August 2016. In other business news this lunch hour, a company connected with the TY Point aluminium smelter has gone into liquidation. The Bahrain-owned company was shot on Tuesday and put into liquidation. 22 staff have been affected, and the liquidator, Reese Kane of Ernst & Young, says their position is still being worked on. TY dumped them, didn't renew their contract. The company declared bankruptcy, basically, or liquidation, and everything just folded like a pack of cards within about five days. And now this tiny town of Matoda and the people in it are having to live with this, and that all really came to a head and turned into a national story when the floods hit the town. Yeah, didn't it? They've been trying to get a deal for years to get the stuff out of the Matoro paper mill. The council doesn't want it there and the community doesn't want it there either. But they've had real trouble getting the money out of the smelter and out of all the different parties. In the end, they did a deal uh, last July. Uh, It was a deal to get the stuff out of the Matoro paper mill in three years, over three years. A $4 million deal has been struck to clean up thousands of tonnes of hazardous TY smelter waste dumped around Southland, 22,000 tonnes of the partially treated smelter dross called Uvea Premix has stockpiled in Matoda and in Vicargo since the TY processing company Taha International went into liquidation 18 months ago. The aluminium smelter company and government are putting in most of the funding for the deal. Four councils and private landlords will make up the rest. There are already calls to make sure it can never happen again. And they're going to ship it to Australia for processing. The Gore District Council's chief executive, Steve Parry, has been quietly brokering a deal between the ten parties. I don't think any party involved is doing high fives and somersaults. It's kind of a deal that 
uh, all the parties can live with. But Mr Parry confirmed it'll take longer than the 18 months the liquidators planned for. It could take a bit longer than that, to be, to be fair. In the end, the timeline was more like two and a half to three years. People weren't that happy about because they were worried about the, the flood risk. I mean, the, the only risk that's ever been on this stuff, really, has been the flood risk. That is, what happens if water uh, floods through the Matara River and into the paper mill? If those bags get wet, it would release ammonia as a byproduct, either as a gas, or if it was really flooded, it would release it into the water, and that would be toxic to marine life. So it was either going to be bad for people or bad mm. for the environment. And that's always been the risk, and the council's known that, and so's the community, and they were desperate to get it out of there. They accepted that three years was probably a practical deal and the best they could do in the circumstances, and they were just holding their fingers crossed uh, that there wasn't going to be a flood in the three years. And guess what? February happens. Biggest flood on record for Matura, and the river swole, uh, swelled right up. The water got lapping into the building, and uh, they seem to have got away with it in the sense of uh, it doesn't seem as if there was a big impact this time, and, but they were definitely preparing for the worst-case scenario. Yeah. Mm. And that's refocused everyone on this problem of can we just take the risk? Is it an acceptable level of risk to have 10,000 tonnes of this stuff in a, in, a, in a mill next to the water? We don't want it. We got it dumped in Matara and we didn't even know about it until it was too late they couldn't get rid of it. And it's disgusting that it's been put there take it somewhere where there's no river right next door to it, no residents and whatnot, so that it's in a <coughs> safe spot. Perhaps TY take their byproduct back and saw it out themselves. It's there, it's their byproduct. We didn't want it there. We had no say in the matter. The council then went back to the smelter and said, this is an unacceptable level of risk now. Look what's happening with the flooding. And they say they did a handshake deal uh, with the uh, boss of the smelter uh, to remove it quicker than the three years, to, to speed up the process, move all of that material straight down to TY into some of their uh, holding sheds. But the board of Rio Tinto, which owns the, the TY smelter, overruled it. And so the, the CEO had to ring the council and say, that deal we just shook on in the old Southland way, the board won't let me. And that's where the fuss has begun again. Battling away against almost a faceless entity, um, where do these people live? Who are they? Who are they? What do they look like? It's, like? it's very hard to find out too much about the people that make the decisions in this particular game. That's Gore District Mayor Tracy Hicks. Just over a week ago, he thought he had a deal that would fast-track the removal of the Uvea. While Matauda residents watched anxiously as floodwaters swamped their town, a crucial meeting was going on between the council's CEO, a representative from the Environment Ministry, and the head of NZ Aluminium Smelters, Stuart Hamilton, at his office. And that was just immediately post the peak of the flood and there was an awful lot of focus going on to the risk that was very clear and present to, to everyone that was there. So an effort was made from the council and also from the Ministry of the Environment to see if we could lift that product immediately and relocate it to a, a safe site. And in my mind and in most people's minds, the only real logical safe site is the TY site south of Invercargill. So there was an agreement made that day that was possible and there needed to be some alterations made to a building that was a potential housing of the, of the product and that would take probably about three weeks to a month to make it fit for purpose.
and then the, the transportation could commence. So like two months, two and a half months, the, the stuff would be gone, whereas at the current rate, it's probably going to take two and a half to three years. Then after that deal was done, Stuart Hamilton then came back and said... Look, we've got some problems. Certainly the message came back from from Ari and that, look, we want this done. The whole community want this done. You need to think very seriously about the implications of going back on this. There was some time given to, to, to reconsider, but there was no change. The chief executive of the Gore District Council is seething over what he says, uh, sees as a broken promise from mining giant Rio Tinto. Steve Parry believed he had made a deal with the chief executive of the TY Point aluminium smelter, Stuart Hamilton, on a plan to remove hazardous waste from the southland town of Matoda. Uh, Rio Tinto, that's the, the masters of Stuart Hamilton, uh, has just said, no, we won't be going there. Rio are going through a sort of a review of the whole operation at TY at the moment. And um, the reason they've cited is that they don't want to import any new liabilities onto the site uh, while that review is uh, going on. Do you think that it it was maybe a bit naive not to get more than a, a handshake deal from this, given that you are dealing with a company like Rio Tinto? Oh, I'm not sure about naive, but I, I know there's been a lot of dealing going on between those parties over the last 12 or 18 months uh, with regard to this particular product. And I think there was a, there was a high level of trust between the, the three that were involved. Hindsight would say, yes, we were naive, um, but hindsight's a fantastic thing. So now the government is looking at possible legal action against Rio Tinto over this. Mm-hmm. Mm. Where are we at at the moment? Because there's so many twists uh, and turns in this, aren't there? No, yeah, yeah. It's definitely a moving feast, and it's not just moving in one direction. It just seems to even flow almost with the tide. But the government is certainly uh, investigating their options, and you know, I've talked to David Parker on a couple of occasions, and he's um, very resolute that uh, he wants this sorted sooner rather than later. Uh, and I think it's, it's really good that we've got both, well, we've got the three parties actually, we've got, we've got central government, we've got local government across the province, um, and we've got communities uh, all as one, speaking with one voice on this. And and I think we're all saying in unison, this stuff needs to move from uh, Matara. Certainly taking up um, quite a bit of time and uh, sucking up an awful lot of energy. Um, yeah, that's for sure. Frustrating. <clears throat> Absolutely frustrating is one way of uh, putting it. Probably some more colourful language that could be used, but um, I probably better not go into that. What's the mood of people? Oh, just raising the level of anxiety um, and people who, who are just nervous about what is this stuff, what's it likely to do to me, what's it likely to do to my family, uh, is it going to pollute our households if the water comes through a house? You know, those sort of anxiety levels were, uh, were sort of reaching the stratosphere this time last week, actually. Ian Telfer says the story got under his skin and he just couldn't let it go. <laughs> there are some stories as journalists that inexplicably, I think, just 
they get you and you just follow every twist and turn. And despite yourself, I don't know how many stories I wrote about this. And I know I'm not the only one. The Southland Times, the Fairfax Papers have done an enormous amount of reporting over this over the last 10 years. Uh, but I just couldn't avoid it. And I probably, you know, I probably um, annoyed my editors with so many stories mm. about a, a disused paper mill for something that never happened, right? I mean, you know, even now we haven't really had a disaster. All we've had is a very close near miss. But it's just one of those things to me that was always a community risk that I was never quite sure was being taken seriously enough. And I can't say that I was proven right because, you know, there wasn't any disaster at all. But I guess I can just say that the community was right to be concerned and to keep raising it. And it does feel to me a bit like a case of where the community is powerless not entirely powerless, but they really have to act, don't they, through their city council, um, or in this case, Gore Council. And the council was only limited in terms of what it can do as well. It didn't know the material was there. It went through a retrospective resource consent hearing. It got a, a hearing uh, commissioner. They agreed that it should happen. You know, you, every step of the way, this thing has been, you know, there's been limited options and there's been limited money. I mean, the Gore Council didn't want to stump up $4 million to get the stuff out. And, you know, understandably, it's not a big council with a huge amount of resources. And even though the community didn't want it out. They didn't want to pay $4 million to get it out, I'm sure. No. So they were looking to the smelter to take responsibility for their own waste. And that's why, you know, David Parker, the Minister for the Environment, has now weighed in, many other people, the Mayor, the the Council, saying, look, you know, we, we keep doing deals in good faith and we need the smelter to take more responsibility for its own waste. Yeah, and that's the thing. Here is this massive multinational that doesn't seem to be taking responsibility. Yeah, I mean, I find it tricky to kind of, you know, weigh in on that too much. I I guess, yes, on the outside, it it seems hard to understand that a a business so big can't find, you know, the $4 million or whatever to speed the process up. Um, On the other hand, if you look at it from the smelter's point of view, they've always had... uh, you know, viability issues at times with, with the Southland operation. They don't want to put it under any more strain and, and, and for it to tip over. Imagine the loss to Southland if that smelter closes. It's an enormous employer and enormous um, revenue raiser for the, for the province and for the whole country. But also, uh, from their point of view, they paid somebody to deal with this. They spent millions and millions of dollars on contracts with Taha who did not deliver, and they were going to try and um, recoup their losses. And I guess it sticks in their craw that they have to keep on paying over and over again for something that they thought they had dealt with already. And Taha has no responsibility now because it's, it's gone broke? None at all. They were led by a German businessman who was based in Bahrain. Uh, he set up the companies in New Zealand. Uh, there was Taha International, there was Asia Pacific, and there was a Taha fertiliser company, sort of all connected companies. All of them went uh, effectively bust or into liquidation uh, in that August 2016. They all ended. The liquidators went through their process. They found almost nothing in the bank. I think there was $100,000 there, and they had to pay out the banks maybe a few hundred thousand in the end they got from the assets. Um, Frank Polman has never come back, as far as I know, uh, the owner to, to New Zealand to, to face up to any of this. And the, the liquidators recommended that there, sh- there not be any enforcement activity, even though someone could theoretically go after them for dumping uh, hazardous materials. They recommended that no, no action be taken because they said the likelihood of being able to, to get any um, successful prosecution against a Bahraini uh, businessman was very low. 
That's the detail today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz, made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. Hit the subscribe button to stay across the detail every day. And if you're on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners find us. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Ian Telfer and Tracy Hicks. Kakite anō. Thank you.